Hello and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. This week, I've got Reverend Robin King sitting with me again for a cup of coffee and a casual conversation about faith and about how we live, love, and act in the world. Robin, thanks for coming back on the show again this week. Lately, we've had some really interesting conversations on the podcast. Last week, we were talking to Leah, who is a yoga instructor who's been bringing yoga into the Basha United Church and into our community, and we had some awesome conversation about that. Robin, you and I have been talking about Lent recently, not on the podcast, but in some videos that we were recently recording Mm -hmm. that we'll be putting out soon because uh, we're into Lent now, right? So right. We, we will, I'm sure we're going to touch on Lent in some way or another. I know you'll weave it in. You bet. But what we want to talk today about is church buildings, uh, especially because yesterday there was an article in the news about across Canada, there are thousands of church buildings. Is it Was it 9,000 churches yep. in the article? Um, that are in danger of being lost because uh, they're aging and less people are going to church and there's a uh, there's many, no money Ben there's, there's no money there's, there's a lot no of money. compounding issues going on there uh, and so we'll dive into that too so Robin thanks for coming on the show again and uh, where do you want to where do you want to begin how do we well, dive into this right there is where we can begin talking about Lent um, I, it's just struck me as really um, either somebody had really smart timing or they were, or it's just ironic or, you know, God moves in mysterious ways, right? Um, that on the first Sunday in Lent, there'd be a story about how 9,000 churches across Canada are in danger of closing over the next decade. Um, I actually thought when I, when I first saw it, I thought, um, I thought, oh, 9,000 churches. Yeah, that makes sense. And, but then when I saw the decade part, I thought, actually, that sounds like a fairly low number. Over ten you think years, so? yeah, I think I think it, it always strikes me that so many churches are are closing um, that that number probably should have been higher. But I think <laughs> the thing is, it's the story was about the story was about uh, in part uh, about uh, there's a sort of a national trust organization that is really very concerned about this. And and if you read the article, which was uh, on CBC, I think, um, if you read the article, um, it talks. This guy talks about how. Um, 9,000 churches, um, and not just heritage sites, but many of them are, of course, they're, they're old and aging churches, and so they've been around for a long time. Um, uh, some of them, I'm sure, are newer than others, but they're being lost in part because they're, they're literally, there's no money. Congregations are getting smaller. Um, churches are closing because they can't afford to stay open. Um, and then, of course, you, you pair this story up with some recent stories about churches that are doing really innovative things. Um, and, and immediately, I think people leap to the assumption that they're doing those innovative things because they need the money to stay open. And what's really interesting about this article about the 9,000 churches is that the guy from this National Trust talks about exactly the opposite. He doesn't talk about the value of the church building because of the money um, that they need to stay open. He talks about them in terms of their value to the community, which is really, I think, a significant shift, not just in terms of how sort of people outside the church talk, but how Mm. people inside the church talk. We tend to talk about, you know, we need money to stay open, mm-hmm. um, rather than the value of what we're giving to the community. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the, the, and in fact, he refers to churches as a community hub in this this story, and uh, that's particularly interesting right now because there's this now this thing uh, that, in fact, our church is participating in called Halo. 
Yeah, I was um, just thinking about that. I was going to bring that up. And it's not the game. It's not the video game. <laughs> Don't worry, anybody. It's not video game. The Halo Although study. Th- that could be fun. Um, but it's called the Halo study. And the reason it's called Halo is, and it started in the States, and now there's this, now there's a Canadian version coming. But the reason it's called Halo is what this this study does is that it looks at the ways in which your church um, contributes to the community, the way and the way the community interacts with your church, mm-hmm. and then essentially uh, and calculates your value to the infrastructure of the community. And a lot of it is in some of the intangible ways, right? It's right. Not it's direct- in things. Yeah. It's it's not just it's not just in terms of. Um, there's a there's a um, group of brownies or scouts or cubs or or girl guides that use your building. It's also in terms of how the the members of your congregation impact the community, mm-hmm. right? So it's it takes into consideration um, what the people who gather there for for church as well as gather there for other reasons. And what are they getting from that? What are they getting from that? Yeah. And what are they taking back out into the community? Right. So it could be something as simple, well, not simple, but um, something as specific as uh, individuals who are at risk of um, uh, divorce or at risk of substance abuse or at risk of yeah, suicidal. Yeah, how are we impacting them? Uh, yeah, yeah. How are they influenced by the activities yeah. of that church, whether that's a Sunday morning service or something else? And it could be it could be anything from uh, from from counseling um, to to church to uh, community organizations that they might get involved in yeah. or workshops events or events. Yeah. Um, and this is see this is a huge this is always a huge deal to me because I think I think a community that uh, a church that isn't Part of the community, as well as its own community, um, is you're you're lost. You're like there's there's what's the point even? Mm-hmm. What's the, you you you're not uh, if you're not taking into consideration how you are uh, part of the community and influencing and impacting the community. Um, what's the point? You're simply seeing yourself right. as a place. Uh, and and here's where it becomes tricky because I'm going to even use the language we used to use you become a place set apart. And to me, that defeats the point of being church. Church isn't, you know, we've, we've often in the past talked about, in fact, I remember the era of, um, what's, the, what's the song? The church is wherever God's people are praising. Oh, yeah. Right? There's even a, there's even a hymn about it. Yeah. Um, and there was a big movement um, that, you know, church is not a building, it's the people, and we don't need a building. And there's where you're wrong. First, first part's right. That part's not. <laughs> I don't think. See, I think there's, um, and don't get me wrong, there's lots of churches that have sold their building and, uh, and now meet in a, either in a different location or they have a storefront thing or they simply do an outreach thing in the community. Mm. They might re- do home uh, groups or they but might But sooner or later you're meeting somewhere. Yeah, you need space. And, that, and that's the thing is that, you, you, you know, and, and this is one of the things that Rising Spirit Ministry, that we're, we're, kind of struggling with a little bit right now too is that we have two congregations that have uh, church buildings mm-hmm. and we are uh, trying to develop a third congregation which is an online community right and so right away you go oh well that pla- that doesn't have a building mm-hmm. N- n- no but it has a place of meeting it has a point of meeting right um, and whether that's collectively all at the same time or individually when people have time for it the point is there's still a point of contact yeah right and so I think individually, communities need to decide what that is. 
So I have absolutely no problem with churches anywhere um, saying, you know what, this building is a burden to us and we don't need it. Um, we're going to sell it and we're, this is what we're going to do. We're going to either have a storefront or we're going to um, meet in somebody's house or we're going to have outreach into the community. That's what we're going to do. I have no problem with that. Well, I Just can... don't be telling me that our church should be doing that. Right. It's, it can't be a blanket thing. Right. It's not for everybody. And this is a point where the uniqueness of your own community, and, and I don't just mean your church community. I mean, the uniqueness of the community around you is so vitally important. And why, if you're not connecting with it, you're screwed. (laughs) And I I mean that, I mean that, I mean that theologically, of course. (laughs) Um, But no, I truly, how are you managing to be a, a church in a community if you are not engaging your community? Yeah. How do you have relevance? Right. How does, how does your community of, of church have any relevance at all if it's not part of the wider community so if you don't have that relevance and if you're in a city and in a location where that building is worth millions of dollars just because of where it is right i'd be be wanting to sell that building you can't blame them and do something really useful with that money exactly or because if you how do you justify keeping the lights on in a building that's worth millions of dollars and there's 10 or 15 or 20 people coming there's another week and not doing it but this is this is see again this is where it depends on your community um, uh, and I'm, I'm going to get the wrong church. It'll be incredibly embarrassing, but I think it's East Vancouver. There's a United Church in Vancouver that has, has in fact, essentially given itself over to serving its community. And it has, uh, it, like, it has a program, an overnight program. Uh, it has a kitchen. It even has, it even, and this was a part that I thought was so smart and cool, is that it even has a place where people who live on the street can store their stuff oh, for free. Wow. Um, cool. And it's secure and it's safe and it's their stuff. They've got their own kind of like bin thing. And, and I just think this is, this, is a, this is a community of people who as a church community have so engaged their community that they know that this is it. And I'm just amazed at what they do. C- could we do that in Bashaw? No. <laughs> in fact, we kind of, there's many parts of that we don't need to do. There's some things we probably could, but but we're because we're a different community, not just our church people, but the community. In fact, I really even hate saying it that way, because it kind of sounds like I'm setting the church people apart from the regular right. folks, um, and I'm not meaning to do that at all. Um, in fact, I think um, quite often churches would benefit a great deal more if they had more regular folks mm-hmm. from the community joining them well, more regularly. <laughs> I right? think that the that because you and and other leaders in our church um, and our congregation in general do have that view that there shouldn't be that distinction over the last 10 years that i've been a part of the basha united church and i grew up in the pinocchio united church so i'm part of both i've seen a major shift in our congregation here and and the way that our church community is viewed by the larger community and you see people come to events that we put on or summer programs or a church service or a a weeknight evening uh, service. And you can tell by the way that they're engaging with us or the way they'll engage with us online as well, that they don't see that as uh, two separate things. That the community, Mm -hmm. people who, uh, people who are not coming to, to church on Sunday mornings, they viewed the Bashi United Church as just a community place where they feel safe, where they can drop their kids off at a movie night, or they know their, their junior high or senior high kids uh, are going over to the church to use the stage area for a drama production. 
there we're so a part of the church uh, of the community that the church is not seen as this set apart separate place that when you use right. the term our community it's fluid it pe- people don't it doesn't matter whether you're talking about one or the other because it's the same thing mm-hmm. it, uh, yeah i think sometimes sometimes people um uh, forget that. I mean, it's really easy to look at a building and go, yes, that is a space set apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the people that make use of it, if you think of it that way, will also very quickly find themselves people set apart. Right. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? I do, but it's uh, yeah. what's interesting. And so what you're saying, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I like what you're saying, the way you're saying that, too, in terms of um, uh, it's it's a, um, uh, it's almost like the, the walls are, um, the walls aren't walls. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it, that the people in the community uh, and, and to be fair, I mean, uh, it's never been I don't think it's ever been our intention. Uh, it, it hasn't ever been our intention to do things like the um, community theater stuff or or um, the movie nights or even dinners or anything like that. It's never been our intention to do that in order to get people to come to church on Sunday morning. Right. No. It's never been that. Nor has it ever really been. Uh, I don't think it's either also. It simply hasn't been the case that we've been trying to get people to become United Church people, no. right? That's not been the goal. The goal has always been for um, the church community um, to engage the community to in a way that, that that has an impact. And um, hopefully, uh, and in fact, I remember saying this once about um, the theater. Uh, it was with the, the theater folks, the community theater folks that um, our hope is that people will see uh, the, the United Church building as being such a part of the community that they will have some ownership of it. And the context, of course, I was, that I was talking about was that uh, it's about the care of the building, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, even, it wasn't about dollars at all. It was actually about the actual physical care of the building, right? And, and uh, um you know, just making sure that things, if things got, things that got broken, got fixed, holes that got put in the wall, got repaired, um, things that got dirty and needed paint, they got that, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. happened because people actually thought it was important enough to warrant taking care of. Because they looked at it right? and thought, this is ours. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's kind of, I think, always been our goal with, um, with those sort of events that you wouldn't readily look at and go, yep, that's a church thing. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's not a church thing. It's for everybody. Yeah. Um, if, if you connect with the church through that, that's super. That's awesome. That is not our expectation. Um, our expectation, though, at some point is, is I think, that, that people, I hope, will uh, uh, begin to understand. Well, it's, it's, like, it's like the way we do uh, what used to be called Vacation Bible School, right? Right. A name which I actually really do not like at all. Um, I just can't come up with anything else. We tried children's summer program, but that's just you know whatever. But church camp, church camp, whatever. Um, but the way we always try and approach that um, is that uh, we want the children to uh, engage the really important themes, yeah, and then see how Jesus might have something to say about that. Or that how God might impact that, or be a part of that, rather than trying to sell it the other way around. Right? It's mm-hmm. church, Bible. It's you know this first, um, because I think that just that just makes it clear to them that 
what they do at home and what's at church are different things. Right. And what we're trying to get across is, no, it's not. So you make it relevant to their lives first and foremost. Right. And, and that's the thing. That's the thing is that, that we, uh, um, you know, I've, I've often, um, I'm, I'm often amazed at, um, how easy it is sometimes for uh, some churches to, for example, separate their church and hall. Hmm. Right, there are things that go on in the hall, and the things that are going on in the church, and some things are appropriate to the church, and some things are appropriate to the hall. Because it's viewed as this is a sacred worship it's a, space it's, it's versus a place set apart general space. And if that is your tradition, please, by all means, that's you know, if it's that works for you, and if that works for your people, that's great. If that works for your community, that's great. Um, but but we, I think we've always tended to see that see it a little differently. To see mm-hmm. it as the the thing that makes it a sacred space, and this is where that whole thing about um, churches in a building, it's a people, comes into play, is that what makes that church sacred is the people in it, and the, the what, how they engage each other, in, yeah. right? And so, so for example, to me, uh, there's uh, there actually is not much that is more sacred than junior high drama class, right. I, I know how ridiculous that sounds, but but the thing is, what they're doing is, and and a lot of it, uh, I know a lot of it has to do with with leadership and and how they do it, but but the thing about junior high theater is that that's kids who are for the most part engaging in that for the first time, and if you create an environment that is uh, affirming and positive for them, that gives them the feeling that they can try things that they've never done before, and it builds their confidence, it, it teaches them teamwork, it teaches them how to engage each other and, and, and create relationships and everything, there's a sacredness to that. Absolutely. There absolutely is, and that is... That is um, that is most of what church is about, right? Creating those relationships, building community, a place where people feel like they can belong. And that's that's what makes it so sacred. And so to me, um, Sunday morning or I, I think it's actually senior high that's in there on Monday mornings at nine o'clock. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Both are creating a sacredness in that place. Isn't it funny that you could have, um, if someone had a more of a kind of an old school view of, of church, they could look at that and either, well, on the extreme, they could be irate or upset that, that we would even allow that into our our, sanctu- our holy sanctuary. But mm-hmm. if even if not that extreme, they might look at that and say, well, that's great. You're, you're impacting those kids, but it'd be really great if they came to church. And I look at that and I say, well, they are coming they are. to church. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, uh, if coming into that space yeah. and feeling safe and feeling like you're, um, you know, watching those kids learn something about themselves, gain some confidence, all the things you just listed. Right. If that's not church, then yeah. what and, are these buildings for? And that's not just, and, and, and that, see, you've, you've bridged the literal and the more sort of philosophical, right? Um, that they, they are literally in the church, so don't tell me that they're not in the church. <laughs> but also, they're engaging in something which is what we're all about. Like, how is that not? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I would never presume to say that junior high theater is church. Um, but the similarities between the two are remarkable. You could call it ministry, though. And I think. It, well, it's a ministry, a small M ministry of yes. Uh, but 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 see, the thing about that is that uh, you, you can't, because sure enough, there are lots of people who are offended when you say that kind of thing because mm. they're not. Well, you know, I'm not religious. 
Like, right. I don't want you to be offended because you're a minister, but I'm not religious. And when people say stuff like that to me, I always go, yeah, that's okay. I'm not really religious either. Um, <laughs> because to me, again, we're back at religion is a structure. Yeah. Um, our connection to God uh, is hopefully being enhanced by that structure. But if it's not, then you might want to revisit the structure. Um, but here's where here's where I think all of this stuff kind of ties into Lent for me and, and why I thought it was so... Uh, uh, appropriate, not. Even, I think I initially said ironic, but I don't mean that. I mean appropriate. That that story about the nine thousand churches closing in the next decade um, ran on the first Sunday in Lent. Okay, is because Lent. The whole point of Lent to me, and I I grew up high church Anglican, so I grew up with Lent is the solemn shadow time of Jesus in the wilderness and the temptation and meeting with the devil. You know. And all your hymns are in a minor key and really depressing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff about ash and dirt and sand and wilderness and, you know, death. And uh, everything's purple, right? Um, in fact, it wasn't that long ago that there was a, there's been a big movement now to make Advent, the season of Advent, blue, not purple. Because purple is um, a more penitential season and it's a color and it's identified with Lent. And Advent is more about preparation for the coming of the king, so that can be blue. Um, it, it all just reinforces the idea that Lent is this dark, shadowy time of, of fear and pain. <laughs> right? Jesus right. goes into the wilderness um, for 40 days and he suffers in the wilderness and is tempted by the devil. And see, first of all, with all due respect to that tradition, and it's still existing, and people still, and I'm sure there are people who find that meaningful, um, I'm just going to say I don't. Um, because to me, I read this story, like this year, the story, every year we, we hear the first Sunday of Lent, we hear the story of Jesus going to the wilderness. And, and because it's in three of the four Gospels, the three synoptic Gospels, the ones that are very similar because they are narratives, right? They're narratives of the life of Jesus. And this year we get Luke. And here's, what, here's how the story goes. This is my version okay. of Luke's version. Here's how the story goes. Jesus uh, goes to be baptized by John the Baptist uh, in the River Jordan. And, and when Jesus is baptized, a, a dove appears, the sign of the Holy Spirit, and a voice is heard saying, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Right? After which, Luke says... The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the desert. And sure enough, Luke includes the where he's tempted by the devil thing, right? But then, if you read on, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, it also says that in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus went into his ministry, or words to that effect. Yeah. So this says to me, first of all, Jesus goes into the desert uh, with the Spirit, he goes with God. Um, and to me, uh, and we've had this conversation about whether or not there's a devil uh, before, and I believe I said there isn't, um, that we made that up. Um, but even if you do, let me just say, if Jesus goes into the wilderness uh, with God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, the devil doesn't stand a chance, right? Um, plus, at the end of his time in the wilderness, it says Jesus comes out of the wilderness filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So to me, when you couple that with the fact that the story follows immediately after the baptism, this is Jesus going into the wilderness to find himself. I mean, literally, to find, he's, he's literally just been anointed 
kind of thing, right? And here he is going into the wilderness, and he's wondering about how he's going to do his ministry. He's wondering what kind of of, of uh, ministry he's going to do, who he is, how he's going to handle things. And then off he goes and does it, right? The temptation part is is all of the like the challenges, right? That 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 all of the because because we we're you know human beings we don't just look at opportunities we see challenges, and invariably what we do when we see a challenge is we go hmm I don't know, and then that opens the door on being afraid of it and so we don't do it and we go and do something else instead, or we dive in and engage it. And see, I think that's what Jesus does in the wilderness. He dives in and engages it. And so um, he literally finds himself. When, when I hear the story like that, I don't hear darkness. I hear light. I don't hear um, pain and suffering. I hear struggle and challenge. Um, but I also hear, you know, those near constantly repeated words, don't be afraid. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? So when we face challenge, even temptation... Don't be. See, it's almost like the it's almost like the wilderness story. If you you tell it the way we've traditionally told it, is designed to make you be afraid of temptation, to be afraid of the devil. And I don't see that in the story. I see Jesus uh, seizing the opportunity, facing the challenge, right, and 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 dealing with it, addressing it, mm. all in the power of the Holy Spirit. So. When it comes to Lent, to me, I agree with the, this is a time for preparing for Easter. And in the old days, and by the old days, I mean the very first days of the church, Lent was the period of preparation for people who were being baptized at Easter. So it was their time of learning. It was a time of testing and challenge. Oh, there's a testing word again. Um, and we, of course, have also the traditions of things we give up for Lent or, or more recently things you take on for Lent. But it's all based around the idea that Lent is a time for self-examination and discovery. Or self-imposed hardship or... Or self-imposed hardship and suffering. Yeah. Right? And and so this is a very long-winded way of now coming back to this thing about churches. Okay. Because it's not just you that needs to take Lent as a time of self-examination. The church needs to take Lent as a time of self-examination. Mm. I, I always, in fact, we should be doing it. 365 days of the year probably so but, asking that question what are we here for but yeah uh, maybe lent is a time to not just ask it of yourself but ask it of your church mm. um you know why are we here, here what are we doing yeah and uh what what meaning are and just as importantly what meaning are we bringing to the community um mm-hmm. as a group of people yeah. but also as a structure and a building yeah uh, all th- like cover the whole thing yeah mm-hmm. you can uh, don't separate them out because you can't I honestly don't think you can't. Even just going back to the earliest days of the church, where did where did they meet? Well, in people's houses. They still had somewhere to meet. Right. You, you don't just kind of like randomly exchange emails. Um, although, although, hey, why not try that? You know, do you know what I mean? It's just that you you have to have a point of contact. You have a point a of communication. You so, have to have a point where people come together. Speaking of going back in time to the early days of the church, this is something I wanted to ask you your your take on. It seems strikes me as a bit of a interesting dichotomy or paradox that if we rewind the clock back far enough, we get to a point where. Well, the church is this sacred, holy, set-apart place that is, and and some uh, denominations still, or people still view it this way, um, that that it would be un, unconscionable to 
to allow any other activities into that sanctuary, into that worship mm-hmm. space, aside from Sunday worship. It was a separate, set-apart place, like you said. But, um, so that, that suggests the concept of this separation. But if you rewind the clock far enough, you go back to the days where the church was the meeting place where everything happened. Mm-hmm. Because the church in, in pioneer days in our part of the world, the church might have been the only physical place large enough for the entire community to get together. So weddings, of course, and funerals happened there, but also town hall meetings. Or uh, it was the shelter from a storm. It was was everything because there weren't other buildings. So by definition, it was an inseparable part of the the entire community. So it's weird because it's this, it's for a long time was seen as, you know, this is the place for everyone to gather. Yeah, we're fighting a bit of a battle is the thing. Um, first of all, let me just say, by the way, in that article about the 9,000 churches closing over the next decade in Canada, um, one of the things that this this uh, guy from the National Trust uh, organization talks about um, is that churches, um, the value of churches in terms of things like this is where community meetings were, would be held, this is where, and he even refers to like um, politicians might might have uh, you know come to speak kind of thing, and right. and and I just of course I I think to myself politicians in a church. <laughs> Who's doing that? Because you're using your hall, not the church itself, right? And, but but I I actually think yeah we we'd do that at our at our church we'd we'd probably have them in the church, not in the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other churches who would go no, that doesn't happen in the church. It's mm-hmm. a place set apart. You'd use the hall because churches also have halls, right? right? That's what. Therefore, that's what's appropriate there, and this is what's appropriate in the church. And never the twain shall meet. And um, the thing is, if you again, if you go back far enough in terms of um, the Christian church um, meeting in people's homes, and there are there are church communities that still meet in people's homes. Um, it's the home is where everything happens, right? I mean, it's literally where everything happens. Um, on the other hand, you back further. Um, the tradition of the temple in Jerusalem is that uh, after uh, after all of the wandering in the wilderness, um, the temple was built because that's where God lived, literally. It's the house of God. It's the house of God. In fact, many Christian traditions still use the phrase. This is the house of God, um, kind of, that kind of language, and so we have this weird battle between it's the house of God, or it's a sacred space set apart, and how it might in- be used to engage the community and how the community might make use of it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the interaction? And I think that's that's a near. Constant battle, um, a constant battle for lots of churches, uh, and 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 that that goes across all denominations. By the way, I mean I know the United Church, for example, went through a phase of um, utility buildings. Right, we built gymnatoriums um, <laughs> in the '60s, where you know you wheel out on on Sundays, you'd wheel out the communion table, and it sat underneath the retractable basketball net. Yeah, and you got the chairs out and and. Uh, okay, um, 
uh, fine if that works for you. Um, but you know, we're also the inheritors of great, fantastic um, uh, buildings. Yes, um, great stone it, that, architectures that are, yes, from that are historic sites. Hundreds and, of years ago. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and we're also inheritors of the tradition of going back to 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 Europe in the early days of the church, and even before that, in we're inheritors of the the tradition of Judaism, right? The the temple and and synagogue and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's a long, 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 long. Even back to the days of uh, you know, like Romans and Greeks, with their many gods, and every god had its own temple, right? right. Its own place set apart. You know this famous story, right, of Paul uh, in Acts, um, addressing the fact that he's coming come to to Athens, and he recognized that this, uh, there's a temple for all of the gods, but you know the Greeks are smart; they built a temple for the unnamed god. Because they don't want to miss anybody, <laughs> right? Right. And and Paul goes uh, seizes on that and goes, "Hey, that could be that's the temple of the one God, right? Even you guys acknowledge, mm. right? And and that's that's his his in to right. talking we'll to them about one. <laughs> the one true God, <laughs> right? right? Um, he bridges and it's a just a, he bridges. I think he bridges the gap, right, between our one God, our tradition of one God, and you guys and your many gods, and and he he finds a way in to talk to them about the one God, um, and I just I we, it's such a part of our tradition to have that battle um, between. Uh, the space set apart and and what's appropriate and what's not in fact um, you know we even have battles around what's appropriate even in the church hall right yeah or in in meeting rooms um, uh, the, the classic one for United churches is um, can you serve alcohol um, uh, I even have wine at a dinner that kind of thing um, and again thank goodness now more and more communities are addressing that on the level of not the historic tradition of the church, but how this works for my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like to think, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and say this in a braggy way or anything, but I like to think that churches like, like the United Church of Canada are kind of on the really sort of front edge of that business of community, how we connect with our community and what's relevant to our personal communities, right? The United Church famously tends to make announcements like, the national church through general council has made this decision, but of course we allow individual congregations to make their own decisions mm-hmm. um, because they're recognizing the uniqueness of community, right? Um, and I think more and more churches maybe are starting to to go that way. So, well, there's and, a, I'm sure there's obviously a wide uh, variance in degrees of how well we're doing that. And maybe the yeah. 9,000 buildings that are, in danger of being lost in the next 10 years is a reflection of churches that have not uh, remained relevant or they don't have a congregation that is thriving and and valuing their their presence in the yeah. community. So I think relevancy certainly applies to uh, religion generally, um, but it also applies to your sort of purpose in the community. Um, you you can't kind of separate those two things out. I don't think I don't see. I don't I don't think one of the reasons so many of those churches are closing is just because people don't want to go to church anymore. Um, although, again, it's Lent, and we should definitely be examining that. <laughs> um, what do you think it is about then? But I think it's also about the church's failure to um, 
uh, it sometimes can be about the church's failure to connect with the community and to find its place in the community. I mean, maybe its place is to be that building that sits on the corner and is only open on Sundays for an hour, um, but maybe its place could be more. Maybe its mm. uh, its place in the community could be uh, um, the different events, not just the different events that happen there, but the people who gather there as a church community going out to the community. I, I think it's a two-way street. Um, and certainly there are times when that two-way street uh, comes to a dead end um, and churches have to close. I'm absolutely not questioning that. But I think there's more to it than just just people don't want religion or they don't want to go to church or how the church is being used with the community. I think those two things have to be working together and we need to see them to be working together and understand mm-hmm. that better. I would agree with you on that. I think what's, what's tricky too is that even if you have um, a community wrapped around that individual church that supports it in principle, thinks that it's great for it to be there, uh, if you asked anybody in the community, they would tell you that, yeah, it, there's lots of uh, g- uh, services and benefits of the church being there, even if they themselves don't go to the church. And yet, there's this practical struggle of how do we pay the bills, not just mm-hmm. how do we keep the lights on and the heat in buildings that are often thousands of square feet. Mm-hmm. When you think of the P- Pinocchio United Church, is a really large church, mm-hmm. and the congregation is way smaller now than it was when I was a kid going there. But it's, even then it yeah. wasn't it was never packed. And so how do you how do you just meet the practical needs of keeping such a large and expensive infrastructure right, building right. maintained? Okay. And then you know our our church is in need of, you know, $20,000 worth of uh repair to the roof and when sure. sometimes but, okay. if the boiler was was to all but of see, a sudden this is need a replacing thing where this is this is a moment where where I think, um, and uh, I'm just thinking as you, yeah, I'm just thinking the the Pinocchio Church, for instance, um, the Pinocchio Church is such it's such a fascinating. Uh, the facility is fascinating because it was originally the there's the old church which is now hall two, um, but when the old church was there, they built a hall on the north side. So um, originally they, there was sort of the church and then a hall next to it, right? Yeah. And then uh, sometime in the 60s, they expanded because they needed to, and they built a new church that went the length of the other two buildings, right, on the mm-hmm. east side of them. And so it's a huge facility now. Yeah. Um, um, and yet the congregation that, that was meant to... Uh, Grow into that. Grow into. Um, Well, and I don't... See, this is one of the things about churches is that I sometimes don't think they actually... I I sometimes don't think people look into the future very clearly. (laughs) I don't think they vision their future very well. Um, Or or it's just a a question of adapting, right? Um, Is because I I sometimes look at church buildings and I think to myself, oh, that's a huge building. You definitely didn't need that, did you? Um, But then I also look at church buildings and I think to myself, uh, why is that hallway so narrow? Right. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Why were is you that expecting so like, small? Were you, were you only ever expecting you to have 20 people on Sunday morning yeah. in your building that seats 400? Um, it, it, do you know what I mean? I do. Like, and, why is there one toilet for and, a... <laughs> exactly. And, and sometimes, it's, sometimes it's a structural issue or, you know, there's, yeah. there's reasons, right? But, but sometimes I also think that it's about our... Um, we, we envision that we need this size of a building because our congregation is this many people. 
right. we don't envision that we need this kind of a building or this size of building or this kind of facility because this is what our community's like or what we envision our community is like right and so many particularly older churches and urban centers are having trying to adapt i was going right? to just say that's why so many churches are so highly We're modified adapting. they've had to renovate right. or they've had to convert something or they've had to bring in right. you know find a creative solution so, to meet the community's needs yeah, when exactly. the, the architect 40, 50, 100 years ago was not thinking about those needs. Right. And how and, could they have been? Yeah. So so for some for some churches like like ours which do now we do a lot of theater, we've adapted kind of like uh, the sort of stage area, we've adapted lighting. We put in um, a lift we for put seniors in, to yes, get into we, the basement. We we've added different and that's another thing too, right? Is that um, in order to make if you're facility is more than one level in order to make it accessible it needs to be you know you need to have a lift or an elevator you need to have there's things that you need to do in order to adapt to what's happening now but that's the flaw is that if you're only adapting to what's happening right now you're going to be adapting again five years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now right um and so the idea is i hope to envision where you're going and try and move in that direction right Mm -hmm. so but which uh, which often will require massive amounts of capital, <laughs> and yeah. then that's that's a difficult yeah. thing to plan. Well, for and as that's well. the thing is uh, there is and this this is this is true. There are there are urban churches that have you know congregations of twenty or thirty people uh, in buildings that seat a uh, thousand people, and they're still able to stay open because they rent their space. Right. Um, and to a variety, perhaps a variety of different organizations who use the space. And I remember a few years back that that took a lot of criticism. In fact, I remember seeing somebody talking about that um, in the United Church who suggested, first of all, that those churches were not, in fact, following the mission of being a church. They were simply trying to keep their little 20 people together, um, keep their building by making money off other community organizations. And somebody else suggesting that uh, what the United Church really needs to do in order to move into the future is to sell off all its property. Hmm. Um, because technically, the National Church owns everything, right? right? That's supposed to be how it works, I guess. Um, and I have issues with that. First of all, no one in their right mind would make blanket statements like that because you can't apply that to everybody. Sorry, you just cannot no, apply no both sense. of those things to everybody. Secondly, um, you, I don't think, can really make a true assessment of what the mission of a particular congregation is solely on the basis of observing 20 people come to church on Sunday morning in a building that seats 1,000, and yet they're still able to keep it open. That, in fact, m- the mission of their that 20 people might be to keep that facility open in order that engages the community in the way in which it did. You, mm. you, you, you need to find out. I'm not yeah. saying it is or isn't. I'm saying you need to find out. Secondly, um, it does not help the church to sell its property because there are very definitely churches who, um, as a piece of the community, it's not just their people that are valuable to the community. It's the manner in which those people are, are stewards of their building and their facility and their resources, right? And and that's where that's where I think, unfortunately we have to use the word stewardship here because stewardship has come to mean in the church. For lots of people, it's, oh, you're going to ask me for money. We need more money. And that's not what it's about. What it's about is, for me, is how the church community um, takes care of its resources 
in a manner which helps it to not only fulfill its mission as a church community, but to fulfill its that piece of its mission as a church community that engages the wider community. Mm. Those actually, those you know, things have to go together. It's it reminds me of the way that stewardship is used in uh, the farming industry, and so in agriculture, you know, farmers are literally stewards of the land. They are stewards of the, right. the animals and their crops and their soil. Yeah. And it's very parallel because the stewardship implies you are caring for and looking out for the best interest of that land or that property or building that you are the steward of, but you are looking for it to um, uh, to be valuable in a way that has meaning and impact on the world. Yeah, it's not a, a self-centered sure. stewardship for sure. Uh, absolutely. Or, you know, or like keeping it open just for the sake and of well, being open. Well, I personally think that we ought to be constantly talking about that. It's Lent. <laughs> so if you're not constantly talking about that, now is a good time to be talking about that. Um, in fact, I would even suggest that if you are a member of a church community, that now would be the time for you to start maybe looking at that and asking questions at mm -hmm. your church of why we are what we are and how we are. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you know what, if you're not a member of a church, maybe you should go to your local church and ask them. Or it, cause here's sure. another problem, right? Is that we make people who don't, um, the, the very same people who will say, uh, no, that's church. That's I'm not, I'm not right. having anything to do with the church are making that assessment based on what they think they know, what the, not what they actually know. Right. Right. And so if you're one of those people, at the very least, just find out. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not even telling you which church to go to. Just randomly pick one um, <laughs> in your community or go to all of them. That would be so awesome. Is it, it would give you the opportunity to find out not only just um, who they are and how they are in terms of how they're impacting the community, but what they're all about. Right, we tend to. We've talked about this before. Where we tend to assume that we know all about we know all about those people because they do this crazy stuff. No, actually, you just heard one story. Go mm. and find out more. Yeah. Um. And and you know if you if you've heard that oh you know the people at that church are like this. How do you know that? Well, you heard it. Well, go and find out. Yeah. So Lent is a really an it's appropriate about, time to it's be about discovering. exploring that. Yeah. But I think it's also a great opportunity as you're engaging. Uh, you know, if people are taking you up on this challenge or this this invitation, also be thinking about what can you share with those church people that. You know, it would be valuable for them to know how are they perceived in the community by yeah, people who are not sure. part of their part of their church. You know, I would I would personally love to know, and I do hear things once in a while because we're so engaged in our community of how we're perceived. I've got a pretty solid understanding, I think, of what people think of of our church and how we're viewed. But I'd I'd love to hear if people have thoughts. Yeah, I think that's uh, that to me. That's uh, yeah. That's that's such a super valuable thing, um, because I think it's it's always a two way street, right? Well, we're uh, constantly um, trying to put out this message that everyone is welcome, but yet no matter how right. far we go in that effort, there will always be people who think, oh, that's not a that's not a place for me. I would be judged. I'm yeah. not safe there." I really appreciate hearing from the people who uh, I really do appreciate hearing from the people that um, think we're we're important to the community and that we're you know what we do is is good for the community or that they've participated in things that they've enjoyed or they've participated in the community I really appreciate that I would also really appreciate hearing from people in the community who um, don't feel welcome 
or are angry about something that we do. And to find out why. And, 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 yeah. and I'd, I want to know why. And I would also like the opportunity to say why we perhaps are like we are. Um, and if it's particularly if it's a question of they don't feel like they uh, belong or, or, you know, that the church is open to them, I definitely want to know why. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, 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 I think, and that's not a question of we respond with, well, this is why. It's we respond with, help us change that. Yeah. What can we do? Yeah. Help us, to, help us change that. Yeah. To help that feel different for those yeah. people. Yeah, that mm. that there's mm-hmm. in fact that there's so much in what we've been talking about today. There's so much material there for probably a thousand lengths. <laughs> um, but you know, let's get started. Yeah, well, it all starts with an open mind and uh, engaging in yeah. the conversation. So speaking of that, that's a good place to to end this conversation, I think. And um, yeah, thanks for helping me explore this today. Thanks, Ben. And I thanks hope for the coffee. Well, you're always welcome. And I hope that people do take you up on that and, and take some time this Lent to learn something, to ask questions, to share in their community uh, how they feel about their... Please do. And if you want to be in touch uh, if you want to be in touch with us, that's easy to do. Yeah, actually. Uh, so a great way to do that. A lot of people listening either know me or they know you, Robin. So if you know either one of us and can connect with us through Facebook or email or any, any way that you can get in touch with us, don't hesitate. Just get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your, your feedback and your thoughts. Um, if you don't, then you can find us pretty easy at risingspiritministry.com and click on contact. And uh, we'll see your email if you do that. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook by searching Six Ways from Sunday uh, and get in touch with the community or with Robin and I that way. And um, we'd also just love to hear your thoughts on this podcast. So one thing I've been uh, trying to remind myself to to plug at the end of each episode is if you could take five seconds and just leave us a review leave us a five-star rating if you're listening to this on itunes or on your podcast app on your iphone that rating that review really helps the podcast to get ranked better in searches or people that are just looking for for podcast content to listen to so we would really appreciate that and just sharing the the podcast with other people through um through facebook through just texting or emailing the the episode links or the um wherever you're listening to this podcast i was recently trying to figure out a way to get the podcast listed on spotify as well and i went through the process of doing that Uh, i was getting some kind of error message saying that uh, it should be on there soon so i got to look into that but Wherever you're finding it, we'd, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love if you would share it and help us promote this with, uh, with more people. So thanks again for listening today. We hope you'll join us again uh, next week, and uh, wishing you uh, a happy Lent. <laughs> <laughs>